The Sports Career Podcast, episode 268, why you need your own coaching philosophy as a football coach. Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. Now, before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, if you're struggling to start or pursue a career in the sports industry, check out my free sports career mini course, which helps you discover, plan your sports career journey with confidence. So if you want more information about this free mini course, go to education to sport forward slash MC. Now, as always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career as a football coach. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's episode, this week's special guest is Ali Speechley, aka Coach Ali. Ali is a football coach where she works with a number of different football organisations and academies where she coaches at a range of different levels. Also, she has volunteered at a fair few global sporting events such as the London Paralympics and even the Euros. So for that reason, it's such a joy to have Ali as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Ali will share her football career journey and explain to you why you need your own coaching philosophy when pursuing a career as a football coach. Coach Ali, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. My sports career journey... So I, I guess in terms of my coaching journey, it started about seven years ago. Almost, I, I sometimes say almost by accident. It wasn't an accident. It was a choice. But I didn't, before I started coaching football, I didn't actually have any intention of coaching football. Um, I, I'd started playing in a women's Sunday league team. Um, and I, I was already 30. And I thought the opportunity to play football had passed me by. But um it hadn't and it was an amazing experience to play and while I was playing I was offered uh, basically a free place on an FA level one course and so I decided to go along just to see what it was like I loved it and I thought oh I don't know that I could play forever because by that point I was already trying to like mark 18 year olds on a Sunday morning and I was a bit like oh I don't know if I could play forever but maybe I can coach so I decided to do the level two like pretty much straight away after that and for the level two you actually needed to be to be coaching a team 
um, so that I started, I was doing uh, one hour a week uh, in a like an after school program in a primary school playground, just completely um, voluntary, unpaid role. And I loved it. And then it kind of just went, it almost like skyrocketed from there, to be honest. It was quite a quick progression through to coaching through grassroots and into academy football. But that's kind of it in a in a nutshell I can go into more detail and give certain parts if, if you like absolutely I want to just go back in time a bit because I've been following you on Twitter and I know you're big into volunteering quick question was this before 2012 because I saw an awesome picture of you volunteering at the Olympic Games was that the sort of period when you just did your level one out of interest so actually it, it was kind of really close to there so I um just after so I think it was just after 2012 that I happened by chance to bump into two Canadian women in a park when I was playing football with some of my male colleagues after work um and I think that was the summer of I think it was the following summer 2013 and I um and they said oh my friends just set up a team in Clapham like you should come you should come play um and that's when so that's when I started playing Sunday league um and then it was um I started coaching I did so I did I must have done my level one that 2013 2014 season and then I started coaching yeah I think it was 2014 was when I actually got a team um so it was it was kind of around that time but just slightly after the 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 London 2012 games Just going on the volunteering aspect now, because I know you're big into this and we will touch on your time as a volunteer at the Euros, but sticking to 2012, like what did you learn from that experience? I remember it myself. You know, there's nothing better when you've got Olympics in the country you live in. It's just something magical. But from a volunteer, you know, I went to the actual Paralympics and the volunteers were just magical. Like they added another layer of the experience. So I'd love to hear your point of view as a volunteer at those games I'm just really intrigued yeah so it was actually the Paralympic Games that I volunteered at um so I I made myself available for both games um but they asked me to volunteer the Paralympics and to be honest I was delighted to do that because um I think all elite athletes are amazing (laughs) because you know what they put their bodies through Um, to achieve their goals you can't help but be inspired by that and I remember the tagline for London 2012 was inspire a generation and I think it I think both the the Olympics and the Paralympic Games absolutely did that and it was just amazing to watch um, these people who had no fear because the worst thing in their minds the worst thing that could have happened to them had already happened to them like they'd been in an awful car accident or they'd been wounded um in the army or whatever you know and and they'd lost limbs and they thought they were never gonna be able to move again at all the lengths that they went to to get their bodies into the condition that they needed to be to compete at the Paralympics was just truly inspiring so it was I actually volunteered at um in the basketball arena which was one of the temporary arenas so it's not actually there anymore so that was quite special as well to be in a space that isn't that then got packed up and, and moved along afterwards um so I did I did wheelchair 
basketball and wheel, wheelchair rugby known as murder ball it is it's brutal and every so often you would hear the you would hear a, a, a like a a collision like a thunk and then a hiss and it would be the tires on the wheelchairs popping because that's how kind of physical it was and that those were the speeds at which they were colliding um so yeah amazing experience and just because it's like a career podcast and just for listeners listening in on the benefits of volunteering like looking back now I can't believe saying this it's nearly 10 years to that event how has that supported you with your career development reflecting now like getting involved in volunteering events from the experience you had like look about how has it supported your career development one of my things I always say to people is just give it a go like if you think if you're interested in something just give it a go um because you never know where it will lead and I think definitely volunteering um there's such a anyone who's volunteered especially at sporting events will know that it creates such a wonderful atmosphere and and you're in in most part there to to help the fans have the best possible experience and you can't help but get caught up in that kind of collective um joy basically and I think again anyone that works in sports like that's why we do it right we do it for the love of of, of whatever sport we're working in so I think it definitely set helps set me on my path of you know what why not like I put my name down I think there were like 70,000 volunteers for London 2012 but there were you know at least three times as many or whoever applied and and sometimes you just never know. So I always just say to people, yeah, give it a go. And, and, and that's definitely, and we'll probably hear about later in this, like that has definitely helped lead me to some amazing opportunities that if I, if I hadn't just given it a go, I would never have experienced. Absolutely. And you did say already in this podcast that you being a football coach, it was an accident. So could you just explain to listeners as the other side of Coach Ali from the other type of work you do? Because this blew me away with our first WhatsApp call, I was just like, I thought on Twitter that, you know, you're a football coach. And then you said the other type of work you do. I'm like, wow. So could you share about the other, if it possible, a little bit of like what else you do than just coaching on a football pitch? Yeah. So yeah, a lot of people assume I'm a, I'm a full-time coach and I'm not at all. I, I think at some point I would like to work in football full-time um but at the moment I still work part-time um I'm a civil servant uh and I work part-time in strategic communications as I'm sure people will appreciate that's pretty much about as much I can say on it but um it it is it is because people are always like oh my gosh that's completely different to coaching football and I and I do understand that but actually there's a lot of um there's a lot of transferable skills because it's about communicating. And that's, to me, coaching is teaching and teaching is communicating. It's communicating a message. It's trying to help someone understand something so that they can be the best that they can be. Um, and so there's, yeah, there's lots of transferable skills about how, how to communicate. Um, one of the main ones that coaching has actually really helped me with is active listening so a lot of people obviously think they're listening (laughs) a lot of the time we think we're listening but what we're doing and I'm guilty of this as well um, is we're waiting for the noise to stop and when the noise stops it's our turn to speak because everyone loves talking about themselves right Um, so active listening is actually listening 
to what someone's saying to you and also for me active listening is is I kind of take it as it's also reading that body language as well it's not just the, the noise <laughs> it's not just the words that they're saying but it's all the ways in which someone is communicating to you and coaching has really helped me with that just with your civil servant role I want to keep to the theme of communicating how has it improved your communication of the different audiences I bet you there's a different way of communicating in that environment to maybe you, you know your football players you coach is there like synergies of how your communication is developed in your messaging I know you talked about senses active listening is super important it's something I've developed on this podcast show but I would love to deep deep in how you tailor your message to a certain audience so they understand so it isn't just noise as you put it yeah and I think um absolutely I mean that's what communications is it's you know effective communications are timely they're accurate and they're clear and that's true across any discipline um so you know when I'm doing my civil service role I obviously need to think about the audience I'm trying to communicate to um and the best way to reach them in a way that's going to make sense to them um, that they're going to be interested in, that they're not going to switch off from. That's the same in coaching, you know, like when you're faced with a group of like teenage girls, <laughs> how are you going to engage them? How are you going to get them to, to be interested in what you're trying to help them with um, and in a way that makes sense to them? And they're all individuals. So whilst they are a team, and a collective there's still you know 10 12 14 different people in there um so yeah there's like I say the skills are transferable though they're not just my coaching has helped me with my civil service work and vice versa it's not you know they they do actually help each other yeah no I'm so I mean so enthralled in this conversation and you've got me thinking even more now because what I've learned with other coaches on the show when you got the spark of your first level one and then you end up doing level two, can you remember like, right, I'll enjoy this, but what's my coaching philosophy? Did you, did you ever think of coaching that side of things of your method? Because I'm really intrigued on that. We talk about communication, but your actual method of the football strategy of things. I'm just curious on that out of interest. So obviously when you coach sport, you have your personal coaching philosophy which is your approach to coaching so arguably that shouldn't really change regardless of who you're coaching and then obviously you have your playing philosophy which can vary you know even with the same squad that can vary game to game depending on the opposition things like that but with a personal coaching philosophy I think what I discovered was that I had naturally always coached that way um, because without realizing it that's where my strengths were but I didn't actually sit down and think about it and identify it until I was studying for my UEFA-B license because on that course you are encouraged to do that you're encouraged to think about not just a playing style but a coaching philosophy and so that's when I just literally sat down and started to think about how I go about coaching and then these these words just kept coming it just kept popping up because I was just writing everything down and then there were three key words basically that just kept coming up and and those were engage educate and empower and I think it wasn't like I said it wasn't something that I set out to do 
it was something that I had always done and like it was as simple as like engage engage can be smile (laughs) you can engage someone by smiling at them because that sort of human recognition all that is that's that's a recognition that there's another person in front of you and you recognize them and that there is no threat here this is this is a safe space and I think especially when you're coaching players who maybe haven't played that sport before it's really important to help them feel at ease and that it's there's no problems here there's no like if you fall over that's not actually a problem you've learned something you know don't tread on the ball (laughs) because you might it's going to roll and you might fall over it um and so I think yeah it was just I'd I'd done that naturally and and then for me it was important that especially as a woman in football and a female coach and I always say to people I'm not a female coach I'm a football coach but at the same time I totally recognize and understand that people then do still see me as a woman I am a woman in football but it was really important for me that I could still educate the players I wasn't just there for if you hurt yourself or you needed the toilet or those kind of you know stereotypical maternal type roles that I think often even now girls in football do tend to go to the female coach for because that's how they've been socialized they've been socialized to go to mum for certain things and to go to dad for other things and it was it was so important to me that I was able to educate them in the game and give them the technical and tactical detail as well and then that's where empowerment comes in because that really empowers me as a coach when I'm able to do that, when they don't just see me as the person to go to when they need the toilet and they're like actually asking me for technical detail that empowers me, but it also means I've empowered them. And when they're on the pitch, it's about them. You know, they are empowered to play that game. Absolutely. I'm just loving the, the three E's and that was today's podcast topics. So I hope people are getting an understanding from a coaching perspective of having your own philosophy and also, like, you, what I loved about it, it's all like a journey that's naturally unfolded. Going back to your current coaching now, like, do you have like a game plan or like a coaching vision or are you just enjoying what you're doing with regards to the players you're already working with? I'm just intrigued of your coaching growth in where you may like it to go. I'm just curious. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, because I, I coach across a, a few different clubs at the moment. So I coach in different environments. And, you know, one of those environments is very much, you know, what we call, would call elites. It's, it's academy girls football, um, very structured, clear pathway, you know, developing players, not just with the vision of one day preparing them for WSL football, but, but also for international football as well. Um, And then another environment I work in is um, very kind of community based and it's about using football as an educational tool to help develop and empower young girls from deprived backgrounds in East London specifically. And then another environment I work in is um, again kind of recreational community based football for women and non-binary people. So a very open and inclusive place in in one sense of you know this is this is who we are but also exclusive in the sense of the whole point is that it is a space for women and non-binary people in a sport that is so dominated by men right um 
so those those are the different environments I coach across at the moment but in terms of my personal goals I do I'm I'm becoming increasingly aware and I keep having this little my little voice in my head keeps going you might have to choose at some point Ali like you know I might have to pick an environment and and decide to go not necessarily full time um because you know I hate to break it to everyone but football coaching doesn't pay a lot of money <laughs> so it's not like financially it might not be something coaching might not be something I pursue full-time but football might be in some in some makeup and that's what I'm trying to kind of work out at the moment where my specific passions lie and how I could build a career out of it but I think for me I spent the last few years kind of hiding a little bit and um thinking that elite football wasn't really for me because there were too many egos and I, I how how would someone you know with my approach fit into somewhere like that but actually what I've realized in my current role in elite football is that it because it's such an amazing inclusive environment it's actually all the skills are welcomed and you know it takes all of that you need them all in the pot because otherwise it's not going to taste right like it's you know you need different um everyone's got their own spice and their own bit of flavor and that's also advice I often give to coaches like be authentic don't think you need to look and sound and coach like the next person because actually a you're failing yourself because you're not being true to yourself and b you're failing your players because by holding back on what is authentic for you, they're going to miss out on something. And if you're just copying what every other next coach is doing, you're not giving them anything different. Um, so, so I felt like that was a really windy answer. And I'm not even sure I've answered your actual question. But <laughs> we have, and I've got a follow up, actually. How has those different environments supported your coaching even more from doing the reps? Like, Really quickly, long time ago, I was doing tennis coaching and I started, you know, with the six year olds and then worked my way up. And I did enjoy that journey. But when people get to coaching, they go, right, I want to coach the top tennis players and the top, you know, elite environment. But the reality is you've got to start from the bottom. And, and, and actually from all the other experience co uh, coaches have had on this podcast, they've all said, like Dr. Frank Dick said on my show, real coaching starts at the grassroots when you work with elite player you don't they don't actually need coaching from a technique perspective they need guidance more off the, the sports field than actually on it so I love your take on that of one how it's benefited you doing the reps but two also you know adapting in different age groups and environments how has that supported your coaching philosophy even more I know you've touched already but just adding that layer of spice to this conversation yeah um and I think actually it, it's definitely supported me because it's challenged me because you can get very comfortable if you teach type of student, you know, if you teach a top set, you know, the kind of returns you're going to get from them and you can get quite comfortable there. And then you go and teach someone who has maybe never studied that before. I've coached girls on a Saturday morning who have never kicked a football before. Like that's gonna that's gonna work you as a coach. That's gonna work you on all levels. Um, and I think both of those environments, um, and then also just socially, that the you know the the women's 
um, club that I coach at, there's a very, there's an amazing, the thing is with grassroots is you get this very brilliant challenge of the mixture as to why they're there. So there are women there or people there who are actually quite serious about their football. And then there are some people who are, it's purely social and they just want to come and have a kick about for a bit. And, you know, like, and it's a whole mixture. And that is a real challenge as a coach to think, okay, so what are the outcomes? What, what have I, you know, the person that runs the club, what do they actually want from me to get out of these players tonight? Um, but how can I do it in a way that they're all going to be pleased with it? And that's hard. That's hard when you've got people who are turning up for very different reasons um so I think each of those different environments they all challenge me in different ways as a coach the one thing I would say about um the kind of structure or like hierarchy especially in football because it's this you know who doesn't know football like even if you don't like football you know the game it's the biggest global sport and there are egos in this game there are egos as there are everywhere in every discipline and to me, it's a bit of a myth, the way it's structured to propel everyone to want to be at the top of the game. Like the top is supposedly elite male football, like Premier League. If you can coach in the Premier League, like you've made it. But to me, the, I, don't, I don't buy into that because um, actually, I imagine there probably are Premier League coaches who wouldn't have the first clue what to do with an eight-year-old do you know what I mean like in a session and I think what's important is to have experts at every age group and you know you have skilled professionals and they know how to get the best out of those players and I think the kind of financial structure of football at the moment doesn't help with that because it basically makes coaches want to get further up the age groups because then you do more hours and then you get more pay and da, da, da. but but actually I think if you're a skilled professional and you know how to get outcomes from you know an eight-year-old then actually why is that worth any less because if we're not developing those eight-year-olds you don't have a first team to coach in a few years there's no one left to coach so actually the grassroots and the the, the even in elite football the sort of bottom as it were of that of that structure they're the most important part surely because otherwise the sport dies out so well it's like sorry sorry to interrupt but it's like a funnel you have mass participation is with the most people and then they funnel it down if you don't have that funnel in place where there's I totally I love what you've just said there sorry to interrupt but it's that's how I look at it is having the funnel and and what's good is segmenting that funnel as you said earlier of segmenting you know boys or girls of okay I want to participate and go that route of being a pro footballer but if that's not my jam I just want to play and do six aside every Tuesday so it's football for fun and I think that's always been a challenge well I would say football being a lot of grassroots everything's tailored to that elitism but then that that core group of people go who end up stop playing the sport totally which I'm this podcast show isn't about top coaches I'm actually big into physical activity as well and I don't know I'd love to hear your thoughts but I assume as a coach would you like coaches to focus on getting top players in top clubs or having people play the sport for 20 years 
and stay healthy. It's a big debate here, but I'm just saying, I think that's something to bear in mind. Um, who just love the sport. Yeah. And, and I, I think, and I think it does depend. That's why it's so interesting for me to work across different environments. And I don't, I think there are, I think there are strengths to each of them. It's not that I think uh, any environment is point. If I thought it was pointless, I wouldn't be in any of them. Um, but I think it's, I guess what I'm saying is even if you're if even if you're in an elite environment those foundation phase coaches are just as important as the manager of the first team in my opinion uh, because without them you're not developing the first team of the future if you don't have experts at the beginning as well as in the middle as well as you know when they're adults it's the pathway doesn't exist does it it doesn't work and so I think you know definitely in elite environments they do recognize that and they they want good coaching staff at every level I feel like in a way this is actually where grassroots kind of needs to step it up a little bit if I'm honest because often what you'll find in grassroots football is that it's you know it's at the at the younger levels that's where all the volunteers are now to me that makes no sense because that's their first experience of football that's their first experience and you're giving that to a rookie you're getting a rookie to coach them what if like what like I'm not saying like everyone has to start somewhere and I get that and I get why you get like assistants that might be volunteers and things like that but I think it's important to have coaches even in grassroots especially in grassroots because that's where all the players come from players don't players don't like just arrive at an academy they start in, in the park and then they come to trial and then they get selected you know so but I just think at grassroots even at the youngest age group you still need a coach in that in that setup who knows what they're doing with all due respect because otherwise uh i just don't think you're going to get the the outcomes yeah but this is outcomes for the coaching pathway let alone just the outcome for the player pathway as well so and i love your thoughts on this um this word winning now, you've worked in different environments and maybe it relates to the second D of education, but I assume at the grassroots level, like let's say a boy or girl that's getting their first experience playing football, what's your philosophy of a grassroots coach with that winning mentality? Is it about the score or is it about winning of their development? I'm just intrigued on this. As in what is my personal belief or what do I... No, from a coaching perspective, because like you said, if you're going to have experts relating to your great idea on each level, mm. winning is always a foundation of anything with results. Um, but I always think when I was coaching tennis, I was more proud of the player I was coaching or players when they were growing, you know, let's say they're eight-year-olds. I don't care really about the score. What I do care is about the technique or the strategy of how they played that game. But it does relate to the winning formula, maybe later on down the line when they grow into top player, or in this case, playing for the first team for that club or academy. I'm just, again, you've got me really thinking today on this podcast, but I, I think it's important for grassroots coaches to how they define winning for themselves, but also the people they're coaching in that environment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's funny because like, 
you know winning has almost become a little bit of a dirty word it's like it's okay to want to win like sport is competitive and people are drawn to it for a reason um and everyone wants to win that's okay like let's just admit it that's that's not a problem everyone wants to win but yeah I guess maybe what you're saying is like what does winning look like what does winning mean and and I think it is I think it is generally accepted now across grassroots and academy football that um at the foundation phase and the sort of at the development you know phases that actually the desired outcomes you know winning is is developing those players and so that they are learning and they are becoming you know the best that they can be and the and lots of coaches I think don't really watch the score like there's been loads of times where the players but what's important is the players want to win and the players know the score and need to know the score because I've had so many times where players have come up to me and be like Ali what's the score and I'm like oh, I, don't know. I don't know because I'm not interested in the score um and I'll just be like oh I'm not sure and they'll be like what how could you not know the score so I think it's a it's an interesting balance as well especially with children like they they like winning and that's okay but I think it's about educating them that there are different ways to win and there are different targets that can be set that are still worth celebrating if you achieve them. So, you know, you might lose a game in terms of a scoreline, but our target for that game was to get a certain number of overloads and we achieved that, you know? And it's just, but that very much depends on a club philosophy, on a coach philosophy, on it, you know, and this is why, this is why I say me working across different environments is an amazing challenge because I have to be flexible. I don't run any of those clubs that I work for. I work for them. So I have to balance, you know, there's always a trade-off. There's always a trade-off with your personal approach to something and then an overall outcome that maybe someone else is dictating. Absolutely. And I hopefully the listeners are enjoying this, particularly if you're a coach, sort of taking notes because I'm really enthralled in this conversation. I'm going to pivot it again. And I've mentioned it already. I want to go back to your volunteering enjoyment at the Euros because what you did there and it got me inspired of like what you've been doing as a coach, working at Civil Servant and doing that. Would you mind just sharing your experience of the Euros from that side of things and, and the leadership role you had there as well? Like, could you go in a lot more depth on that? Yeah, so the Euro the Euros overall was was really fun. Like, how can it not be? You know, football's my first love. I get to go to the home of football, you know, essentially to just hang out with fans and make sure they know where they're going to go and enjoy the football. Like it doesn't, you know, that's not difficult, is it? Um and so again I so obviously the Euros were supposed to take place in 2020 um so I applied to volunteer like what seems like forever ago um and then obviously it was delayed and then and you know there was part of me the Euros was the first time I had been surrounded by large groups of people since you know February 2020 And so there was part of me that was a little bit anxious about it as well, because I was a bit like, hang on a minute, COVID hasn't actually gone anywhere. (laughs) Like it's still here. Um, But I think 
it was so it's so the reason I bring that up was because it was actually really good for me as well just personally to kind of get out and be around people and still you know we had face masks on even when we were outside because of the crowds and you know still keeping all those sort of safety measures in place but but just interacting with people again was was amazing um and it was so nice as well because obviously it wasn't just it wasn't domestic football it was fans from from different parts of Europe um and yeah I was a team leader so I I was always there because I think this is what people some if you've never volunteered especially at sporting events I think people don't appreciate how long the day is and you're basically on your feet for pretty much all of it um and you know I was there five hours before kickoff (laughs) so I was at Wembley for a long time on match day um and we, we would basically have our team leader briefing and then we would get into position and meet our team members um, and brief them. And then, and then we were all set and we were all in place and we were good to go um, in our location for that specific match. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I think as always, that what makes those experiences are the people that you meet. You just meet people that you then like, go on to be friends with or end up offering you other opportunities in the future that you would you wouldn't have thought about at the time so it's, it's just a brilliant networking opportunity if nothing else to be honest just touching on that uh, I've interviewed a few people in the mass participation industry and I know just people who just love volunteering at events like have you got that bit of a buzz to do more and like what the learning lessons from that side of things because you mentioned it about the networking but I just know people who've gone to different continents and done Olympics, you know, youth games, and it's just a different type of experience going to a sporting event, but not actually in the stadium. Can you, I just want to, you know, talk on this sort of talk because I just know so many people go, I don't want to work in events. I'm like, well, volunteering is the way, but people don't understand the word volunteering, if that makes sense of the experience you had. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. So there are definitely some serial volunteers like who just I I met some people at the Euros who literally just go from one sporting event to the next. I, I don't think I've got that bug as such. Like, I don't know that I could. I mean, I don't know I could afford to, but um, I think that's something maybe people do in retirement. <laughs> I remember someone came up to me and said, oh, yeah, but you're being paid. And I said, oh, no, we're all volunteers. Like there are some people who work events, as you'll know, who act at big sporting events who are being paid and they're more operational people who are who are organizing the volunteers and things like that but but most of the people that you will see at sporting event are are unpaid they are they're doing it because and and then it was like but why would you why would you do it why are you standing in the rain for free and I always feel like if you have to ask that question then I'm not sure I can answer that for you because I just to me it's so obvious like what you get to you get to help other people have fun you get to help other people have a good time you have a good time you bring the energy you bring the smiles you know what I mean you're you're just part of the atmosphere and you're just part of of trying to make it the best possible experience um and I think yeah like at at those events it's it's just nice to help generate that positivity and that atmosphere and just for people listening in, it was like, okay, got the volunteering stuff. And it's important to highlight, it, you know, you're giving your time up. But looking back, how has it helped you understand that event a bit more of how things run? 
just for people who would like, you know, may want to go volunteering and then operations. Like, did you see that? Like, ah, oh, I understand that role better now because I was in that volunteering opportunity. Did that happen? I know you're big into coaching, but for people listening in, they can get understand that you can get the behind the scenes of what actually goes on at these top events. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I know how to use a radio properly now. (laughs) Like, you do pick up skills. Every time you interact with someone, you learn something. You know, you learn how to interact with fans better. You understand what it is, what the needs are. Um, Because that ultimately, you're there to meet someone's needs, aren't you? Um, And, you know, I'm pretty good at taking photos now. (laughs) I took so many photos for people um but yeah no it's definitely useful it's like anything like like I said earlier a lot of the time you if, if you're interested in something just give it a go but actually if you aren't yet a skilled professional chances are you're going to have to volunteer in order to give it a go because that's only fair right like why is someone going to pay you for your time if you don't know what you're doing like that's the trade-off so I would say definitely volunteer because you will pick up so many skills that you don't even realize you're picking up. And also, I often just think your attitude, like there are volunteers are kind of certain types of people because they are those people that are prepared to give their time for free and that that attitude will take you a long way. Don't be exploited. <laughs> But if you show that you're willing to do something, it will lead to paid opportunities. Because if you can basically show that you're competent <laughs> and you know what you're doing, actually people will be like, oh, I've got something else. Would you be interested in working on this? Like that's happened to me loads of times where I've gone to do something for free and someone's asked me to do some one-to-one coaching paid or asked me to come and do a session at their club paid or asked me to do a speaking event paid. So, you know, sometimes you just saying yes for free can lead to, to progressions. <laughs> it leads to that, as I say, that domino effect and nothing beats word of mouth, particularly when people see you do the work. I think one thing I want to highlight, and it, I'm saying this because I was following you like mad on Instagram and Twitter. I was like, ah, there's social proof as well, which is so important. Now I know experience is important, but social proof that during the event in anything is key. Coach Ali, I've so much enjoyed this conversation, but out of interest, looking back now, what have you enjoyed the most from your football career journey looking back right now? Oh, that's a good question. I think the thing I've enjoyed the most is actually my own development, like watching myself develop and grow and gain confidence. Um, because it hasn't been like you know you just touched on social media like no one's posting their fails (laughs) I mean I I'm quite an authentic person and I try to be honest about lots of things um but it hasn't it hasn't necessarily been a straightforward it hasn't been an easy journey for me and a lot of the times the things that have made it hard is me like the pressure that I've put on myself or not even pressure but just self-doubt um so I think the looking back now actually it's I'm proud of myself that's what I've kind of enjoyed the most is watching myself come through some really difficult experiences and I'm still shining you know like I'm still here and knowing that 
especially when other women get in touch with me and say, oh, you know, you've really inspired me to do my level one or you've really inspired me. I'm going to do a refereeing course or, you know, or, oh, my my daughter loves you and she thinks this is great and she's tried this trick at home. And like, that's amazing. That makes me feel that makes me feel like it was all worth it. And it and I always say football is my first love. And I'm glad that I found my place in football. It took a while, but I found my place. Let's touch on the social media because that's how I got connected with you. It was actually on Twitter beginning of the year. I'm like, wow, this, this coach is cool, like different posts and also important tweets that changed my perspective of things. And I'm really dead honest on it. There was I won't mention the player's name, but there was one player from Manchester United and I'm like, oh, he's my favourite ever, ever player. And But you said something that was meaningful and a different perspective because sometimes we have that childhood aspect and you said something really important in that tweet. And I was like, yeah, no, it's important to have that perspective but authenticity so one question I do have and you have mentioned it already but for people who are shy of putting themselves out there because you have done that I thought you were a football coach like full-time sort of thing but you did the civil servant and I think this is a really cool thing you're doing there by the way but how important is building that personal brand looking back now how has that supported you not just on Twitter but just in general with regards to just being yourself in regards to how you promote yourself online because it is an important aspect of any career development, but sometimes it's tough to put ourselves out there in an authentic way. So I, I, I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, the reason it was Coach Ali is just because I had other accounts at the time. I had other social media accounts that were personal and I wanted to distinguish, A, so that people could find me for the football stuff more easily, um, and that they weren't going to then send requests to my personal accounts, which, you know, for obvious reasons, I didn't want connect. I didn't want to connect with pe- people that I didn't know on those accounts. Um, but I was happy for them to connect with me on a coaching account. Um, so Coach Ali, like, it was just the first thing that popped into my head. Um, and then people started coming up to me at, like, <laughs> football things and being like, are you Coach Ali? <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm... I'm Ali and I coach football yeah and I I didn't realize it had become this thing that apparently it has and still to me now it feels a bit uncomfortable and awkward because I'm not really that person like I'm not even though I work in strategic communications and I understand how that stuff works I never intended to have a brand and promote myself um And I think that's why, to me, the sort of, I guess, what we'll call the other tweets are really important because that is also very much who I am and that's me being authentic. And I don't, you know, in the past, I have people have said, I'll stick to football and da da da. But I just think, actually, especially as a woman in football, I can't stick to football without being honest about my lived experience. And, um, so I think, yeah, I don't, I feel like it's not a, it's not like, you know, some players accounts, some football players at the moment, you can tell the ones who have managed accounts and then the ones who don't. And it's the ones who don't, who are, are actually people relate to more. And it's because it's them. You get to access them. Um, so yeah, the me, the social media thing is still something I'm 
I'm trying to balance for myself. I took a, I took a Twitter break recently, which was really beneficial. I really enjoyed it. I read so many books. I've got back into reading, which I've now maintained, which I'm really pleased with myself about. Um, but I think, yeah, it is on the, on the, on the flip side, like it has also created opportunities for me and like, like things like this, where people get in touch that otherwise maybe wouldn't have known about me or wouldn't have known how to get in touch. So they are definitely, definitely channels of communication that I keep open, but I'm, I'm a lot more selective now about kind of who I respond to and when I respond I think I often put this pressure on myself to sort of respond immediately and it's like no you don't owe that person anything it's okay to like take a few days or weeks or months or whatever um and get back in your own time unfortunately this is the world of social media it's like this 24-hour machine that just doesn't stop but a really quick question what type of books are you reading I'm a bit of a geek in books but I see my uh bookshelf just there so out of interest what type of books are you reading at this moment so I, at the moment, I'm purposely reading lots of fiction because I went through a phase of reading quite a lot of nonfiction, especially around sort of leadership and, and coaching and, and psychology and behaviours and books about the teenage brain and, and all of this kind of study, which, again, like I love um, and was really useful and really interesting. I purposely wanted to immerse myself in worlds that are obviously the elements to the story it's not like I don't really I'm not really like a sci-fi person I still like reading about this world but just you know that aren't so closely related to work <laughs> but also I'm fascinated by identity so a lot of the stories I read are about culture and identity um and so they're fiction stories, but they're stories about the world today. So they're stories about, you know, discrimination on, on race or gender and things like that. But, but mainly how people overcome. Because I think at the moment, the world, the world feels heavy. <laughs> the world feels really heavy. And I think it's important to remember that there is still a lot of love there is still more love than hate I will always I will refuse to to accept anything other than that there is there is always more love than hate and and we can overcome um so those are the those are the kind of stories that I like to read cool no I find this really interesting I think it's really important uh to have a different genre of books I've literally just finished the Lord of the Rings I've seen the film did the all but I actually wanted to read do that experience from Tolkien and it's just a different perspective and create I don't know about you do, has your creativity changed in how you look at things from that non-fiction perspective I'm just curious on that as well so I'm I mean creativity I love talking about creativity because people always associate it with like the arts but actually you can be creative in, in all sorts of ways um and like when you design a session that's creative you've created something my academic background is actually in film theory <laughs> so I I spent a good four and a half years of my life literally studying film like watching film and writing about film and reading about film and writing reviews of films and um so it's not for me it's not just um books it's also film as text like watching films and so I think, I've, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've always had that kind of 
looking at things through a creative lens shall we say like that's always been part of how I kind of view like when I'm when I'm doing my civil service job that's very creative role you're you're literally creating campaigns um and when I'm doing football it's football coaching is about painting pictures it's about there's there's something basically that that those players need to be better at so that they perform better on a match day and how can you paint those pictures so that you create those moments so that you can coach them so I don't know if that's making sense but basically so like something will happen in a match and where maybe um you know the defense isn't compact enough say for example because it's gone from a transition so you've been in possession so you've made the pitch nice and big because you're in possession and then you've lost possession and in that turnover and that transition your team hasn't tucked in again and because it hasn't tucked in the opposition can play through you and they score a goal so then on the training pitch how do you create a session to to basically make them do that (laughs) like you're going to trick them and you're going to make them play badly as it were you're going to paint that picture so you can stop them and go okay have a look around what's wrong with this picture and then they can self-correct and then you play again but you have to set it up in such a way that you paint those pictures for them or, or you get them to paint the pictures um and so yeah that's I guess that's what I mean when I say like it's all creative yeah, so you're saying the football pitch is the canvas, you know, and um, just touch on that, because if people are doing some sort of video studies or some sort of video course, like out of interest, how is that experience? We haven't touched on that during our conversation till now, but you mentioned it already. But how has that helped you from a coaching perspective, not just with the players, but when you look at a game or watch a game or video analysis, how has that skill set developed through those studies or four years of studies? I'm just Again, curious on that point. It's important to remember that what I studied at university was film theory, not filmmaking. So, but I was still, but you're right, it's still analysis. So what I was doing was I was watching films frame by frame to look for certain things. And then I'd write about those things. So obviously when I'm watching training or I'm watching a match, you're analyzing it because you're looking for the pictures and so 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 last night in a training session for example they were actually just playing a little kind of 6v6 and one team had no central midfielder like they just hadn't put anyone in the middle but we didn't say anything to them we were like when are they going to spot that and they didn't so then we stopped them and then we were like okay set yourself up what are you missing and then they realized um, so, but we we analysed it. We saw it straight away. So I guess, yeah, there is a sense that for years of watching, <laughs> to looking, analysing, I do definitely have like an eye for detail. <laughs> I say I say that to people quite a lot. Like I will notice things, and I think often with me as well. And I've never really thought about this before. So you saying this has made me think this. But it probably comes from watching analyzing film 
I tend to see, sometimes I see the stuff that other people, like I, I see the background stuff. I don't always see everyone else sees, if you see what I mean. Like I will see that, but it might not be, I might not see that first. I might actually be looking at something else. And again, this is why it's good. This is what I mean about being authentic to your skill set, because if we all just see the same things, then we're not getting the whole picture. And you're not getting a different point of view or perspective of how you can improve something. Wow. My goodness. I'm enjoying this. Look, I think we're at a great stage where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question, Coach Ali, and literally provide examples. We've dig deep on volunteering. We've just now touched on like video analysis as a coach, but out of interest for any listeners listening in who just want to literally, as you say, just do it, but like put their toe in the water of coaching or football coaching in particular, like what three tips would you give to them starting their football career journey? What would they be? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I feel like I've probably touched on some of it in our conversation, but for me, networking is really important. Like talk to people, talk to people who do something that you think looks interesting you know like so it might not be exactly what you want to do but maybe it might be linked or and also that's the beauty of social media and most people do actually respond (laughs) like they do get back and my tip on that though is if you have a specific question for someone put that in your message I get lots of messages it's like hi no what do you you know (laughs) like say just say it all in one message ask them your question so network talk to people ask questions um and then I'd say um give it a go like you're not gonna you'll never know you can spend forever wondering if you want but you're not gonna find out that way so just give it a go and then finally like just be authentic to yourself for me diversity in everything but especially coaching is key and we you know there's like what over seven billion people on the planet like we're not all the same and we're not all the same for a reason so be yourself (laughs) and and bring I coach from a strength-based approach in that I I identify a player's strength and I use that to help them feel confident and then I start to challenge them in their areas that they need to work on but I do it for myself as well if ever I'm feeling anxious or or not very confident in my coaching I kind of go back to what I know like I go go to what I know I'm good at so I would also say that like if you're feeling nervous about trying something just come you've already got a skill set and you can definitely use it in whatever sport you want to try so start with that and build from there absolutely and I love those sort of there's about four tips there which were just awesome but I think without a doubt being authentic kids you've actually reminded me that just now listening to what you've just said but coach Ali how can people interact with you online yeah no so I am online oh gosh I probably should have tried to remember my my handles right um I mean I'm on Twitter I'm on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn um and I'm usually on Twitter and Instagram I'm coach Ali um I think if you when you post it feel free to tag me Ed and then people can find me that way and then on LinkedIn, Ali Speechly, S-P-E-E-C-H-L-Y. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my blog post with regards to this podcast. Coach Ali, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much.
Thanks, Ed. It's been a pleasure. Whoa, what an unbelievable podcast chat with Ali. And there are so much we talked about during that conversation. But the biggest takeaway that I've learned the most from Ali herself is how she's utilized her experiences from coaching, from her time doing video editing near the end, from being working civil servant. All these experiences have helped her with regards to where she is today. And I'm going to put the thoughts to you now, the listener, and I mean you, is how can you utilize your experiences, your background with regards to your development? Because that's the key, really, like, I cannot wait to watch Coach Ali coach and see her in person, like in how she coaches with regards to all the experience she's created for herself when volunteering at the London Paralympics, at the Euros. All these micro experiences have developed skills that have helped her to be a better individual, a better person with regards to her current role as a football coach, but also in the work she does as a civil servant. So I want you to realize that you can elevate yourself through your experiences. That is the biggest takeaway, which for me, I think is a great learning lesson from this podcast because it makes us more accountable within ourselves and take more responsibility in where we want to go moving forward. Like without a doubt, right at the end with her career tips about the power of networking is crucial. But I think from an internal standpoint, really evaluating who you are, like Coach Ali said, with authenticity is so important. So look, I love to hear your biggest takeaway. Let me know on Twitter at edbowers101 or tag in Coach Ali on Twitter as well and share your biggest takeaway and how you're going to put that into practice. That's the most important factor of your learning lesson is how you're going to take action with it. So on that note, I look forward to hearing from you on Twitter. Take action now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Ali said, be authentic to yourself, find your sports career interest and give it a go.